Are you sitting comfortably? And then I'll begin. <laughs> Got a little story for you. It's, it's a famous story, but it illustrates our, our passage nicely. Once upon a mountaintop, three little trees stood and dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up. The first little tree looked at the stars and said, I want to hold treasure. I want to be covered with gold and filled with precious stones. I'll be the most beautiful treasure chest in the world. The second little tree looked at the small stream trickling by on its way to the ocean. I want to be traveling mighty waters and carrying powerful kings. I'll be the strongest ship in the world. And the third little tree looked down into the valley below where busy men and women worked in a busy town. I don't want to leave the mountain top at all. I want to grow so tall that when people stop to look at me, they'll raise their eyes to heaven and think of God. I'll be the tallest tree in the world. Years passed and the rain came and the sun shone and the little trees grew tall. One day, three woodcutters climbed the mountain. The first woodcutter looked at the first tree and said, This tree's beautiful, it's perfect for me. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the first tree fell. Now I'll be made into a beautiful chest. I shall hold wonderful treasure, the first tree said. The second woodcutter looked at the second tree and said, This tree's strong, it's perfect for me. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the second tree fell. Now I'll sail mighty waters, thought the second tree. I'll be a strong ship for mighty kings. And the third tree felt her heart sink when the last woodcutter looked her way. She stood straight and tall and pointed bravely to heaven. But the woodcutter never even looked up. Any kind of tree will do for me, he muttered. And with a swoop of his shining axe, the third tree fell. The first tree rejoiced when the woodcutter brought her to a carpenter shop. But the carpenter fashioned the tree into a feed box for animals. The once beautiful tree was not covered in gold nor with treasure. She was coated with sawdust and filled with hay for hungry farm animals. And the second tree smiled when the woodcutter took her to a shipyard. But no mighty sailing ship was made that day. Instead, the once strong tree was hammered and sawed into a simple fishing boat. She was too small and too weak to sail on an ocean or even a river. Instead, she was taken to a little lake. And the third tree was confused when the woodcutter cut her into strong beams and left her in a lumberyard. What happened? The once tall tree wondered. All I ever wanted to do was stay on the mountain top and point to God. Many, many days and nights passed. The three trees nearly forgot their dreams. But one night, golden starlight poured over the first tree as a young woman placed her newborn baby in the feed box. I wish I could make a cradle for him, her mother, her husband whispered. The mother squeezed his hand and smiled as the starlight shone on the smooth and sturdy wood. This manger is beautiful, she said. And suddenly the first tree knew he was holding the greatest treasure in the world. One evening a tired traveler and his friends crowded into the old fishing boat The traveler fell asleep as the second tree quietly sailed out into the lake. Soon a thundering and thrashing storm arose, and the little tree shuddered. She didn't know that she'd have the strength to carry so many passengers safely through the wind and the rain. 
When the tired man awakened, he stood up, stretched out his hand and said, Peace. And the storm stopped as quickly as it had begun. And suddenly the second tree knew he was carrying the king of heaven and earth. One Friday morning, the third tree was startled when her wood beams were yanked from the forgotten wood pile. She flinched as she was carried through an angry, jeering crowd. She shuddered when soldiers nailed a man's hand to her. She felt ugly and harsh and cruel. But on Sunday morning, when the sun rose and the earth trembled with joy beneath her, the third tree knew that God's love had changed everything. It had made the third tree strong. And every time people thought of the third tree, they would think of God. And that was better than being the tallest tree in the world. Our uh, glorious passage in uh, Exodus 15 involves a piece of wood bringing healing to a people in desperate need. And it's amazing the, the way that wood, as symbolized particularly in that third tree, the cross, is the answer to everything. If you look into the story here, our Israelites are beginning their journey, they're crossing from the Red Sea, they're headed into a desert, and uh, like many a person, when things aren't going quite the way they anticipated, uh, their wind levels are increasing. <laughs> you can imagine it, can't you? Maybe you've been watching the jungle on TV or some other adversity, and you can imagine the sense that I'm going to set out on this journey. I remember doing Duke of Edinburgh, a silver expeditions, and the first day you're like, all right, we can do this. But after having eaten those disgusting daddy long legs which have crawled into your food at night time when you can't really see what you're eating, there's a bit of a sense of, I don't know why I'm doing this. And it's cold and it's the Brecon Beacons and you're like, I just want to go home. Well, these Israelites were setting out on a tremendous and massive epic journey. And there have been three days, potentially two million of them, and they haven't found water. And although they've just been delivered from the might of the Red Sea, it's amazing how yesterday's provision can be easily forgotten in the face of today's problems. And yesterday's provision was mighty and wonderful and powerful, but all they can see before them is an empty bowl, and all they can hear is a stomach rumbling, and they're cross, and they're angry. And then suddenly they come across a place and they find water. <laughs> and they think, fantastic, how wonderful. And you might imagine if God was leading his people across a desert, what he'd do is carefully arrange at various intervals some sort of glorious fountain feature to emerge so that they can water themselves wonderfully. After all, if uh, Jenny Eastwood in our kitchen was putting on a, 
a lunch for people. She would make sure that it was organized uh, down to the last detail, wouldn't she? And you can trust her um, with, your, with your, your lunch. But God sent them out into a desert without organizing it, as far as they can tell. And why? Well, they're there, and then they get provision, but the provision's bitter water, and they're like, what's going on? Where's these fountains at regular intervals to provide for me and look after me? And so they do what people tend to do. Um, They find someone to be miserable against. Um, And our newspapers, of course, are full of people being miserable against all sorts of uh, political leaders at the moment. And it's easy, isn't it, to pick on someone and go, why have you brought us here? Ironic in the newspapers, of course, because it's often the people who brought us here who are now the ones complaining that they're here, but there you go. And so they grumble against Moses, their, their deliverer, under God. And he says, what are we going to drink? And God gives him what has often by Christian commentators been considered to be a foretaste of the cross of Jesus. Why does he give him a piece of word? It doesn't explain it. He just gives him a piece of word and says, look, if you throw this word into the bitterness, it will make it sweet to taste. And friends, if you bring the cross to your bitterness, it makes it sweet to taste. I've sat with people who have been through the most horrendous things. The most horrendous things. Who can retrospectively look back and say, encountering Jesus made this worthwhile. I would never have met the cross of Jesus, as far as I can tell, without this horrific thing that happened. And actually, tasting him means that even my darkest hour has been redeemed. I couldn't presume to say that's what everyone should say of their darkest hours. But I can tell you the truth of it in the people that I've heard say it. And so he chucks the wood into the water, and the water becomes fit to drink. And the Lord issues a ruling and an instruction and says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes, if you pay careful attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I'll not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. I'm the God who heals you. There's a sort of transaction there, isn't there? There's a If you do, then I will. If you walk in step with me, friends, I'll keep you safe from these things on your journey. In a way, the the transaction of the Old Testament is a very simple arrangement. It's It's a covenant arrangement. If you do this, then you will generally prosper. It's not universal, because if you go into the middle of the Bible um, and you turn to, say, the Proverbs or the Psalms, uh, you'll find out that, um, that, it's, that there are annoying exceptions to the rule, that people can prosper even when they're wicked, and the, the wisdom literature riles against it. Why do these people get away with it? Why, why, why? But ultimately, there's a sort of a sense of comeuppance, that in God's economy, he's going to bring about justice. 
And so he says, look, if you, if you pay attention, I'm going to keep you safe on this journey. And, and it's interesting to sort of muse on, on that relationship because it's all they had in terms of knowing God. How are things going for you materially, physically? That will prove that you're in the right relationship with the one who provides for you and heals. Now, we in the New Testament have a different relationship, don't we? We have a relationship that goes beyond the physical and the immediate and now. Uh, We are those who know more than John the Baptist, the greatest of, of the Old Testament prophets hanging into the New Testament. We are the people who live in resurrection. So we know that what we have now is just temporary. And what we have forever is what will really last. We know that we don't just have to build in the here and now. We know that we can store up treasures in heaven. But they didn't know that. They needed it proved to them there and then. Now my experience is, and what Jesus promises, is that you have to leave behind lots of things in this earth if you want to follow Jesus. But he also promises, conversely, that whatever you give up in this life, you will gain also in this life. And one of his great examples of that is, if you give up your home for me, you will gain in this life multiple homes. You think, how does that work? Well, look around you in the room here today. Look at the glorious people around you. One of, uh, one of the people who walked in today was talking about a friendship she'd struck up in church with someone who can't be here today. And he'd simply said, oh, what do you like to drink? And she'd said, oh, I like brandy. And he'd brought in a bottle of brandy and passed it on. It's because one of the things God does for us is makes us family. And he says, look, here you are with people. Um, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Open your hearts. I've um, recently come back from India, as you know, and it was a wonderful experience to walk into people's homes who I, I know a bit, but not very well, and then just to look after me because I'm their brother. And I've been in other countries where the same's happened again and again. And we need to have that mentality, don't we? That we are, to one another, family, homes, providers. Not the main point of the passage, but an interesting aside as we head to Christmas. How can we be good for each other along the journey? And if you don't have a a lunch set for Christmas lunch, um, do remember that you can get lunch here at church and sign up for that for Christmas Day. But this is the key point of the passage, I think, is this, this little illusion that when people were desperate, when they were whinging, when they were moaning, when they were at their wit's end, when the water that they could taste was bitter, God sent a piece of wood, a bit of a tree, and it made it sweet again. And the bit of a tree, our third tree from the first story, can actually make anything sweet again, if you really understand it. So this Advent, look ahead to the cross as well, to what Jesus did for you. And remember that there is a transaction there. You can exchange your bitterness for his joy.
You can exchange your mourning for his gladness. You can change, exchange your despair for his hope. Because that's what that rather magical piece of wood can do because of the wonderful Savior who died on it. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.